Let, let's start with sitting up in your chairs and let's put one hand on your chest, another hand on your belly. Close your eyes and become aware of your breathing. Now let me have you breathe into the hand that's over your belly. We're going to change our focus now. So we've been talking a lot of cerebral stuff, uh, foods. And now we're going to look at the body from the perspective of the gut. So let's get into our intuitive selves, breathing into our gut. And I'm going to talk about the gut microbiome, which I understand a lot of people don't understand what that is. The microbiome is the summation of all the different organisms, bacteria, viruses, parasites, worms even, that live inside or on our body. But out of all those zones, and there's a lot of different zones, uh, there's a microbiome in the nose, a microbiome in the mouth, a microbiome inside your stomach, your small intestine, but the biggest reservoir is your large intestine. And that reservoir is estimated to be up to, I've heard numbers much higher than 39 billion, up to 100 trillion, when we're accounting for the viruses, the bacteriophages, which are the viruses that live inside the gut, which actually outnumber the bacteria. So this system outnumbers our cells 10 to 1. And the combined DNA of the bacterial um, population in and on our bodies outnumbers our own DNA 100 to 1. And it's estimated that the human body does not encode for enough genes to perform all the processes that are necessary for excellent health, that we actually depend on this symbiotic dance with our microbiome. So let's talk about this. And one more thing, uh, Max is in here, but I was going to say that it's the microbiome that is responsible for the positive effects of dark chocolate because it has antioxidants called polyphenols. The polyphenols are too big to be absorbed. Actually, the microbiome has to digest it into smaller anti-inflammatory molecules that then get absorbed into the body. So this is a picture of what my health index looks. It's not scientific, it's a made up graph, but the blue is my health index and the one is how the gut microbiome builds throughout life. But my gut microbiome got completely decimated during my teenage years when I started getting throat infections, bronchitis, pneumonia, sinusitis. I was on round after round of antibiotics. Doctors kept telling me, that, uh, my parents, the pediatricians, that my immune system was not strong enough. I needed to be on a multivitamin. They didn't know what was going on. I actually lost a lot of weight when I went through my teenage growth spurt, and then I could never gain weight. Now, looking back, I recognize that what happened is my microbiome had been decimated by antibiotics. And as a result, I had developed leaky gut. And I'm going to talk about that. And that led to food sensitivities. And the two biggest food groups as a teenager were wheat, which has gluten, and dairy. So I became sensitive to these two food groups, and they were causing inflammation in my body. So it wasn't until my 20s I started changing my diet. I took dairy out because I was constantly trying to hack how can I not get sick. And I found when dairy went out of my diet, I stopped getting sick as often. And that was my first aha. I was in medical school at the time. They weren't teaching us nutrition, but I was always keenly interested in how diet affects our health. Then it wasn't until 30s when I started discovering functional medicine 
And I was able to heal my gut through what I learned in functional medicine and started working with patients and became very passionate about the role of the gut microbiome in all aspects of our health. So I start with a picture of a tree that kind of looks like the DNA uh, double helix. And because a lot of times when I talk about the gut, I talk about it as our root system. And for a tree, the roots are extremely important, right? So if the tree becomes sick, if the leaf looks ill, are you gonna paint it green so it looks nice and pretty again? In Western medicine, do we give a medication that is a Band-Aid on top of a symptom or look at the root system? If you speak to any farmer, agriculturalist, if the leaves are sick, where do they look? They look at the roots. You heal the tree through the roots and through the soil. What I'm going to teach today is that you heal the body through its root system, which is the gut. And I'm going to give you some really practical takeaways, I hope, that you can start doing right away. So if you don't deal with the roots, then the tree dies. Now let's look at the outside world. 25% of the planet's biodiversity is found in the soil. And our soil is under threat. And I think we always have to interrelate what's happening in the outside world to what's happening in our digestive system, inside our bodies. Because I love what Maria Rodale, who's the, the granddaughter of the founder of the organic movement, once told me. She said that the soil is, the, is basically, the soil is the digestive system of the earth. And it's quite complex. Well, for us, we have the microbiome. And that microbiome that lives inside of us, I would argue, is one of the most complex ecosystems on the planet. We are still trying to understand how the symbiotic system affects our health. And we know that there's this whole gut-brain access. So when I had you breathe and tune into your abdomen, get into your intuitive center, I was bringing you into your second brain. And everybody knows, you, everybody says you get a gut feeling about things. So we have the vagus nerve which connects the brain to the gut. And there's actually more neurons firing up back to the brain from the gut than there are downstream from the vagus nerve. But it's a two-way system. So we know if there's somebody has a traumatic brain injury, it causes changes in the way the vagus nerve uh, signals, and it increases the, the permeability of the gut, and you get leaky gut syndrome, which I'm going to talk about. Max talked about ketones. Does anybody here drink bulletproof coffee? Yeah, or put MCT oil in your coffee or your tea? So when you do that, the MCTs get absorbed to the liver. They get converted into ketone bodies, like beta-hydroxybutyrate, acetoacetate. And those ketone bodies go to the brain. They're actually the best fuel for the brain. The brain can operate really sharply on ketone. The alternate, sugar, uh, the alternate fuel for the brain is sugar. So that's why there's, there's been such a resurgence of this keto diet for a lot of things. It can be used in cases of refractory epilepsy. Uh, it found to be helpful. Uh, but a lot of people are using it because of brain health and improving the, the functioning of the brain. 
So let's look at this system. You know, are we perhaps equal parts bacteria, equal parts human? But who really is in control? Are we in control? Or are we just reproductive systems for the gut microbiome? This is the human phylogenetic tree of the microbiome that lives on all different surfaces. I know it's very small, but you can see how complex it is, and it is divided into multiple zones. So there's even a microbiome that lives in the creases of your hands, and in between the creases are almost like deserts. There's barely any bacteria in there. And same like I said in the mouth, in the vaginal tract, inside the intestines, around the teeth, and all these microbiomes have a very important effect on how healthy you are or what types of diseases you develop. So I get to my happy gut principle number one. Diversity is the key to wellness. Let's look at what happens to the gut and what's happening in Western society with the type of things that are insults to the gut, like alcohol, the standard American diet, antibiotics, stress, even over-the-counter medications like NSAIDs and even birth control pills have been found to increase uh, gut permeability in a low-fiber diet. So that leads to something that we call dysbiosis. So dysbiosis is basically just an imbalance between the good guys and the bad guys. Do we have all good in the gut? No. About 10, 15% of what is inside our gut are what we would call pathogenic bacteria, but they probably serve a purpose in balance with the good bacteria. It's when that balance shifts and you get more of those pathogenic bacteria, that's what's called a dysbiosis. And that dysbiosis leads to a disturbance in the gut lining. And if the gut lining becomes disturbed, you start not being able to absorb nutrients properly your gut starts becoming inflamed, and eventually you develop this thing we call leaky gut. And leaky gut is just another uh, colloquial term for increased intestinal permeability. And for a long time, this was a term that uh, was really spearheaded by naturopathic physicians, and Western medicine poo-pooed on it until a, a research scientist, Alessio Fasano, actually showed and proved that you can measure this, and there's a molecule that mediates the permeability of the gut almost like a dimmer switch. So you want your gut to be able to allow good nutrients through. You just don't want those holes to be too big to allow bad things, or even partially digested proteins, which our immune system will attack. Because you see 70% of the immune system is all along the gut lining, and it's surveying and sampling everything that comes through and asking, is this okay or is, it, is this faux? So when you develop leaky gut, you can start to develop food reactions. Everybody knows what a food allergy is, like a peanut allergy, a pine nut allergy. These are indolent reactions. These are not mediated by the same part of the immune system that does that really fast reaction that you get with a food allergy. So these are things that you might not notice are happening, but you're getting migraines. You have irritable bowel syndrome. You're getting hives. And a lot of times, you know, even though these issues seem to be on the surface, they're actually related to what's going on in, in the gut, including inflammatory arthritis. I've had patients where I've reversed what was called 
a nonspecific inflammatory arthritis by a rheumatologist by looking at the gut, finding the dysbiosis, the imbalances, which could also be yeast overgrowth, fixing it, and all the inflammatory symptoms disappear. So where was that diagnosis? And eventually, you can develop autoimmune disease. And we know celiac disease, which is an autoimmune reaction to gluten, but there's other autoimmune diseases that are related even to celiac or to increased permeability of the gut, like autoimmune thyroid disease, which affects eight times as many women as men. So this is a schematic from my book, what a healthy gut versus a leaky gut looks like. So kind of, I really love visuals. You can see that a healthy gut has the cells, which is only one layer, one cell layer thick, right? So just think about that. You just have one cell layer between you and what I call your inside-outside world. Because everything you eat, everything you're exposed to comes through your digestive system. And these cells sit together through these tight junctions like Velcro. And when you get a leaky gut, you get the insults that increase gut permeability like dysbiosis, for example. Or you take an ibuprofen, which also increases gut permeability. They start to loosen up. And you have the spaces between the cells become bigger. And now molecules that should not be getting through can get through into your body. And lo and behold, the immune system is on the other side waiting to see what's happening. So going back to the outside world, uh, this is me in Machu Picchu actually about a year and a half ago. And what I found really fascinating about this, because remember my first happy gut principle is, is diversity is the key to wellness. Well, the Incas were, do, were basically harvesting diversity in their crop. When you look at the irrigation system of these terraces, they were not growing food to be eaten. They were growing food in micro temperature zones because each one as you go up is slightly different temperature zone. They were adapting plants to different conditions. So if you go to Peru, you have over 100 different types of corn, 100 different types of potatoes. The Incas understood that diversity was their way to hedge against environmental changes, perhaps more rain one year, less rain another year. And I find that really fascinating because as we go into monoculture, where things are becoming one, and we're affecting the diversity of our food supply, well then how does that affect the diversity of our gut microbiome? So let's look at a traditional hunter-gatherer tribe, one of the last um, groups left on Earth, the Hadza of Tanzania. There's about a, a thousand of them, and a quarter of those still eat the traditional uh, hunter-gatherer diet. So they've been decimated, as you can see. Their territory is becoming smaller and smaller. And what do they eat? So this traditional hunter-gatherer lifestyle, the diet is composed of just five foods. Tubers, wild meats, and this can be small to medium to even large game animals. Berries, baobab fruit, which comes from this beautiful tree here. It's from the lion king. And it's really full in fiber. The baobab actually is used by the women of the Hadza tribe to wean their kids off of breast milk. Uh, they take the pulp and the seed and they mash it up and grind it and that becomes a porridge that they feed the kids as they're weaning off, and it's very fiber-rich. So children of the Hadza are eating about 100 grams of fiber a day. 
but adults are eating about 50 grams. Adult Americans are eating between 10 and 15 grams of fiber. And the crazy thing about the wild meats, um, I heard somebody who's lived with a Hadza give a lecture. He said he saw a hunter kill a zebra, which the Hadza have exceptions, so they can, kill, they can still kill animals that traditionally did in the past. No one else can kill a zebra. He saw him slice it open, take the stomach out, empty the contents, and eat the stomach right there on the field, sushi style. Now that is quite an exposure for the microbiome. So their diet is 70% plants, very high in fiber, and then 30% game, um, game meat. And it's seasonal because not all the foods are available all year round. And the honey, by the way, that they eat is not honey that's coming in a nice little jar in a container, no. They're taking the honeycomb and eating it with the larvae, which are really full of healthy fats. When I first saw honey, I was thinking, how can they just eat a honey? No, they're getting the full spectrum of everything that you get with honey, the propolis, the bee wax. So the, the diet varies, but the biggest part of the diet is tubers. They eat tubers year-round, and what do tubers have? They have fiber. Tubers are rich in fiber. So kind of thinking back to what Max was talking about, about diversity in the diet. Oh my gosh, already? <laughs> They looked at the gut microbiome of the Hadza, and they have greater diversity than an Italian control that they tested. And they're eating primarily these five foods. So is it really diversity of choices in the diet, or is it a lack of fiber in our diet that's causing a decimation of the, mi the microbiome? But there are other big threats to biodiversity. Right? And the first one is doctors. We are the biggest threats to the diversity of the gut microbiome because doctors prescribe too many antibiotics. Now, antibiotics save lives, and I use antibiotics in my practice because sometimes people think when I lecture that I'm anti-antibiotics. No, antibiotics save lives, but what I think needs to happen is antibiotics need to be used judiciously when they're actually necessary. And not giving an antibiotic to nip a cold when it's really caused by a virus. So I work more on looking at fortifying the immune system so the body can do the job that it's supposed to do. And that's through what I learned from being a child and having had to be on so many rounds of antibiotics, I don't want to go on an antibiotic regimen. If I get sick, I support my immune system, let my body take care of it. But then we have pesticides, and we have all these household cleaners with chemicals that we call endocrine disruptors. And all these things can basically add as, act as antimicrobial agents, antibacterial soap. But here's another threat to biodiversity. Yeah. <laughs> Sweets, a monochromatic diet. So mostly yellows and beige, missing a lot of uh, different nutrients there. So thinking back to what Max said about all the different colors, the blueberries, the greens, raspberries, you need to eat the rainbow of nutrients. 
And then we have genetically modified foods. Monsanto, whose byline is innovation, collaboration, speed, but perhaps it should read exploitation, contamination, greed. Thank you. And you can just spray Roundup. I mean, and when people spray Roundup in their yards, they're inhaling the Roundup. So it gets into your system, and Roundup has glyphosate. We know that glyphosate is actually patented as an antimicrobial agent. So I'm going to run through. I'm running out of time, <laughs> and I don't want to run out of time. So let's, I'm going to talk about something called diet-induced endotoxemia. So we found that diets fueled, uh, diets that are rich in sugar, flour, and refined seed oils increase something called endotoxin, which is a measurable state, and that increases the risk for obesity, metabolic syndrome, and type 2 diabetes. So how does this work? Lipopolysaccharide, which is endotoxin, gets into your body. It stimulates a receptor that causes an inflammatory cascade. We get an increase in insulin resistance, so your blood sugar rises, and you get, because your insulin levels start to rise, you get more belly fat in the middle, and it leads to obesity. But if you look at the diagram, there are lipopolysaccharide receptors all over the body, and guess what? They're also in the brain. So when lipopolysaccharide gets through the gut border, it's quite able to get through that blood-brain barrier, and it turns on inflammatory pathways in the brain as well. So if we look at this another way, maybe you get dysbiosis, leaky gut increase intestinal permeability, you get a drop in a very important organism that's called Acromantia mucinophilia. Mucinophilia means it eats mucus, so it loves the gut border. An increase in lipopolysaccharide or endotoxin, and it short circuits your metabolism, and it puts your brain on fire. And what is a brain on fire? A brain on fire is a depressed brain. So there we have another connection between the gut-brain access. And I'm going to kind of run, speed past this one, and go to my happy gut principle number two, which is to eat plenty of pre- and probiotic-rich foods. So I'll let you take a picture of that. And really thinking about going to farmer's markets, things that are locally grown. Look at the variety here. Look at the rainbow of colors in these foods. When you're eating these types of foods, onions, garlic, Jerusalem artichoke, dandelion greens, all these foods have prebiotic nutrients that are food for your gut microbiome. So if you wonder, how can I increase the diversity of my gut microbiome? You start with your diet. And then you can look at cultured foods as well. So kimchi sauerkraut, you want to incorporate a rotation of those in your diet. And of course, the superfoods that Max talked about earlier today. So adopting a high fiber diet actually for diabetic uh, patients resulted in a drop in their blood glucose. So improve their blood glucose regulation. So again, I ask you again, is what's happening in the body an issue of the pancreas and the body, or is it a microbiome issue? Apparently, it's more being regulated by the microbiome than we understand. So happy gut principle number three, I kind of took it from Michael Pollan in a way. Eat organic, mostly plants, avoid antibiotics unless absolutely necessary. Judicious use of antibiotics. And eat organics so you're not being exposed to pesticides like glyphosate, for example, and I should say non-GMO as well. 
So when we look at gut health, we think of all these, um, these diseases, Crohn's, celiac, reflux, ulcers, and maybe you have these symptoms, bloating, acid reflux, cramping, gas, constipation, but we never think of gut-associated diseases. And these are all conditions that are potentially associated with your gut health. Asthma, allergies, eczema, migraines, hives, autoimmune disease, Hashimoto's, which is autoimmune thyroiditis. All of these things have interconnections with the gut. So that brings me to happy gut principle number four. Healing begins in the gut. But how do you get there? You also need some balance. These are my niece and nephew and me. <laughs> if anyone's been to Cusco, you recognize that this is the view over the city. That brings me to number five. You have to rest to digest. So kind of thinking back to the, what Dr. Panda talked about, about the circadian rhythm, turning down the lights, getting away from the TV, you're also allowing your nervous system to wind down at night. You cannot heal if you are in an agitated state. And I can tell you now, after over a decade of treating gut patients, I am starting to believe that the number one issue that needs to be addressed first is stress. And then diet, and then the gut microbiome. But if you cannot get rid of the way that they react to things, you don't get rid of the stress layer. The stress is an attack on your gut. That has to be dealt with through things like meditation, yoga, tai chi. It could be knitting. I, I tell people, you know, you have to find the thing that kind of gets you into that zone where time stands still. You know, walk on the beach, going into the forest, horseback riding, things where you connect with nature. Because nature lowers cortisol levels, which is our stress hormone. So cultivating a happy gut and a microbiome, to summarize, it's all about diversity. It's not about being clean. It's actually about getting out and getting dirty and exposing yourself to soil, uh, to getting out in nature. Uh, they actually show that uh, people who have pets, like dogs, who lick you in the face, have more diverse microbiome. And the other thing that actually increases diversity, and if you look at the blue zones, uh, where people live to 100, they're usually multi-generational households. The microbiome is shared through the generations because as you get older, your microbiome starts to decimate, it starts to change. But in those people who live in these multi-generational households, there's a sharing of the younger microbiome with the older microbiome. And perhaps that is part of what keeps them more vital. Prebiotics, things like yogurt, kefir, fermented foods, kombucha, detox and elimination is very important. Moving your bowels, because when you hold stool in for too long, then it's allowing all the toxins that are being pushed out of your body, it allows them to recirculate. And that could be environmental toxins that you've absorbed from exposures. But also meditation, listening, gratitude, I think gratitude is something really key and important, uh, something that I try to teach people to get them into the present moment and to get them out of negative thought patterns is to be in gratitude and to feel that gratitude in their body, not just their brain, but to feel it in your body. And in the end, it's really about creating a balance 
between all of these factors. So this is me. I'm the author of this book, Happy Gut, which I know is out there for you later. Thank you for listening. Uh, sorry, I had to go really fast, so I hope that uh, you took away some really important pointers. And uh, I look forward to connecting with all of you.